is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, happy almost 4th of July. Woo! It's Allie with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo, And welcome to your weekend. It's the Mulberry Lane Show. Right, yeah. <laughs> We're bringing the red, white, and country blues to you today. That's right, Allie. Going to put some fireworks in your weekend. We're assuming you've already started your holiday celebrations, right? We have. <laughs> so come along with us. Join us for the next hour. We've got a lot in store for you this hour. We're so happy you've decided to spend a little bit of your holiday time right here with us. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to those guest sisters. Woo! The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first, Lee Greenwood. You can't go through this weekend without hearing this song. And I'm proud to be an American This song is the backdrop to so many fireworks shows. Yes, and today Lee Greenwood is going to give you the backstory on how he wrote the song in the back of his bus. Incredible that this seed of a song would grow into the iconic anthem that it is today. It's been voted the most patriotic song in America. Lee Greenwood, definitely a patriot for you this 4th of July weekend. Okay, Rachel, who's next? Then it's country music artist Ray Scott with his brand new album, Guitar for Sale. Living this way, oh baby, take me to my grave a little earlier than most. And you also may know Ray from this song. How do you get in those jeans? Mercy, you looking fine. How do you get in those jeans, baby? And tell me, how do I? Well, Ray chats today, of course, about the new music. He chats about his career both on a major label and since going independent. You're going to hear the behind-the-scenes stories about how Ray writes his songs and his experiences in the studio with different producers. And you're really going to dig Ray's low voice. That's right, Allie. You're going to hear the first part of Ray Scott interview this weekend with the second part following next weekend. Who else, sisters? Okay, well, then you'll hear from New York Times bestselling author, Megan Whalen-Turner. Well, this Newbery Honor Award winner returns you to her fantastic fantasy world in Thickest Thieves. Now, you're going to hear all about how she creates this imaginative world, the characters in it, and how the stories have spawned new plots. You'll be really intrigued with how this woman's imagination works. Pretty cool to hear her talk about how everything fell into place. Crawl into Megan's mind today. That's right. It's a cool place to be. (laughs) Okay, well, we got a lot to get to today. But Rachel, you have a new addition to your family. We do. Okay, so here's the backstory. My son has wanted a dog for a long, long time. And he's been researching online what kind of dog he wanted. 
adopted. So, you know, his criteria, he wanted about a one to two year old German Shepherd male dog was going to name him Crosby after his hockey hero. So we've been on a quest to get this dog. To find Crosby. To find Crosby. Well, you know, life doesn't always work out when you have the best laid plans. (laughs) So guys, we took a trip to the Humane Society to check out a dog that kind of met the criteria. But what we ended up with was a nine-year-old female Siberian Husky named Nikita. That's what happens when you visit the Humane Society. (laughs) Yeah, so we have this dog that doesn't meet even one of the criteria. But so far, she met the most important criteria. She fits right in with the family. Awesome. And your son really loves her, right? Yes, Cole fell in love with her, so I guess that's another important criteria. Everything else went out the window. (laughs) That's what love can do. (laughs) That's right. Life has a way of changing your best laid plans. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we don't know what you had planned for today, but we're going to change your next hour. (laughs) Up next, you're going to hear the really cool story right before the 4th of July of how Lee Greenwood wrote the iconic hits and when you probably will be hearing a lot for the next few days. Yes. God bless the USA. You're going to hear how he wrote this in the back of his bus. That chat with Lee Greenwood is coming up next. Stay right here with your radio sisters for some musical fireworks. Boom. <laughs> Keep it here on the Mulberry Lane Show brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Let's get started, sisters. Behind the songs, back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you're here with the singer-songwriter who wrote the most recognizable patriotic song in America. Mm-hmm. Now, God Bless the USA was written by country star Lee Greenwood in the back of a bus. Now, throughout his musical career, Lee has earned multiple CMA and ACM awards, a Grammy, and a CMA Song of the Year for God Bless the USA. But he's here today to share his career, what inspired that iconic song, and to infuse your weekend with musical patriotism. Lee Greenwood's on our show, Independence Day, telling you about God bless the USA. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you here with us today. Thank you. Now, 30 years ago, you wrote that iconic song. So could you share with us what inspired it? Set the scene. It's an interesting uh, walk for me. As I move way back into my life, I was raised in Sacramento on a farm by my grandparents. My very first band uh, had a bass player who was with the National Guard, the Air National Guard in California. Mm -hmm. And we worked at some of the local air bases. So I went out and made a little extra money on the weekends. But then I realized that my bass player had to give up a week a month for training. Okay. So I said, that's a heck of a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I uh, got to kind of, you know, looking into it a little bit more. And of course, as I moved to Nevada right out of high school, I spent almost 20 years there and learning what I needed to learn about entertainment, worked with all of the Rat Pack and the, the major stars of okay. the era. And when I finally got my country music career, and that, that was an easy walk just to go to Nashville. When people were going west, you know, I was going east. Okay. And, and I ended up, you know, in the, the heart of country music in Nashville. And my career took off. 
at MCA, as you girls were on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. I was there with Reba McIntyre, George Strait, the Oak Ridge Boys, and Barbara Mandrell, and okay. we all had similar careers, just kind of different, you know, every one of them. And after I've been touring about two and a half, three years, I never lost the inspiration to write a song about America that would unite the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, that seems like a very magnanimous thought. But it was just something a naive thought I had as a kid. I, mm-hmm. I had never traveled much from California till I got to Tennessee. And then, of course, I started traveling like a crazy man. You yeah, know, we, you've been all over the country, so you oh really have. We did 300 days a year for the first three years. Uh-huh. I worked 30 days alone in Texas. And oh. I was like, every doghouse, outhouse, and roundhouse. And I'm like, <laughs> gosh, dang it. You know? And mm-hmm. so I got the feeling of the culture of America. Okay. And just one night, you know, mm-hmm. in the back of my bus, I rode it one day between, I think, Arkansas and Texas. And it took about a month or so to get it to tape. Okay. And in those days, it was tape. Uh-huh. And, and then live with it a little bit and then uh, take it to the record company through my producer, Jerry Crutchfield, who was a wonderful artist with me, and then bring it to record. And so it's pretty cool. The walk that we've had and the time that I've lived with it, my USO tour is 30 of those so far. Wow. And the times, you know, that have been crisis, the times of tragedy, and the times of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, had you written other patriotic songs before this one came along? There was a forerunner when I was in Nevada, and I ended up a show one night with it um, okay. when I was working the Flamingo. And it was interesting that it was very negative. It was very anti-government because it was through the Vietnam era. Okay. And there was a lot of people speaking out against the government, and it was just my way of of expressing my thoughts. Or venting. Yeah, and I think it was a good thing that I probably didn't have a format. I mean, I didn't have a release, a record company. At that so time. So that song kind of got buried. It was called America. Okay. And it uh, was never released nor put on digital, so you won't find it. But, <laughs> uh, but I have it buried in my archive somewhere, and I listened to it once uh, in a while just to kind of remember where my head was at during those years. Uh-huh. But fortunately, when I got to Nashville, things were so positive, uh-huh. and I turned very positive about the country. It was a time of peace uh-huh. that when I wrote God Bless the USA, it was just really accepted well by the public. Uh-huh. Yes. So how long did it take you? to write it? Oh, half an hour. Okay, so would you say, in a way, it poured out of you? Well, you know, I had a piano in the back of my bus, and after every show, if you've got 10,000, 15,000 people, it takes a little bit to come down. Uh-huh. So I would put the piano up on my lap, I sat on my bed, and was a hinge to the wall. It was my own design, so I could have something to listen to, and I put my headphones on so I wouldn't disturb the crew uh-huh. uh, while I was playing, because I traveled with my four-man crew. And it didn't really pour out of me, but it was the idea that I had you know, to just write about cities because I was doing so much traveling. And I remember the days of the American Bandstand and Dick Clark out of Philadelphia. And every time a song came out of that city that was popular, it always mentioned lots of cities. Okay. So I'd kind of look at the compass in my head. Uh And I said, well, I mean, I could have said Seattle and Miami, you know, Virginia and Frisco. But it just, guys, okay, Motown's important because that's Detroit. That's the car industry at the time was extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. The oil industry in Houston, I mentioned that twice because Texas was twice as big as any other state. Okay. Okay. And then L.A., my home, and New York, population centers. And that kind of like got, you know, the idea in my head of where we were going with it. Gotcha. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, right now you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show, and we're interviewing country artist Lee Greenwood about his iconic song, God Bless the USA, on this weekend. Now, do you have a particular story, and I'm sure there are so many, of someone who was very much affected by this song? 
I think we have to waive performance at the White House, performances maybe with the military, and because those are always, uh, with so many USO tours, they're really important to me. Right. I, I just have to tell you about this one thing that'll seem insignificant at the time, mm-hmm. but I look back on it because it had such impact. I had a show up in New York, and somebody asked me to go to the old soldiers and sailors home, which was about... 10 miles from me, and make an appearance there just to honor these old soldiers. And so I said, sure. So I went over there, and they had this little stage set out in the park, you know, maybe 60, 80 guys. Some had their wives and families around them, and they were kind of just sitting on easy chairs, most with canes, older folks. Mm -hmm. And I stepped on this wooden stage, and they had a little PA system. And and so I sang God Bless USA for them, and and they were, you know, they're almost too old to applaud, most of them. But (laughs) as I left, this old man walked up to me, obviously a proud American veteran, and he took off his purple heart and pinned it on me. Wow. So I'll never forget that. And the moment that meant so much to him that I should have what he was given in honor yes. for what I made him feel. Wow. That's amazing. And even the fact that it was in such a humble setting that that happened. Yeah, it wasn't something, you know, that, that the press would have picked up right. on and, and blown up. It, it, mm-hmm. This was just between me and him. And it was just really, really moving. What a moment. Very touching. Well, more moments with Lee Greenwood when we come back here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Meet us right back here where Lee is going to talk more about his iconic hit, God Bless the USA, and the stories that have gone with it. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Meet the celebrities on your radio station Back to the Mulberry Lane Show Now, here's Mulberry Lane You've joined us in the middle of our chat with Grammy-nominated country music icon Lee Greenwood. Now, Lee's had seven number one hits and 25 charted singles in his career. And the song that he wrote in the back of his bus, God Bless the USA, has been voted the most recognized patriotic song in America. Now, right now, we're talking with Lee about this mega hit. Now, that song hit number one on the pop charts after 9-11. So as the songwriter, how did that affect you when in a time of crisis, your words and music was something that all of America turned to? Well, I'd already lived with quite a few years. I wrote it in 83. We're Uh talking 2001. Mm -hmm. So 
they've been a roller coaster of things that have happened. The 92 was a really great year where I released the American Patriot CD at mm-hmm. Capitol, mm-hmm. Liberty Capital. And Garth Brooks had taken over the label over there, and I'd moved over to Capital Liberty from MCA. Okay. And my producer and I were still together, and we just said, look, I think it's time maybe we put God Bless the USA in an album with all the rest of the other songs you admire. So we did America the Beautiful, God Bless America, all of the, I could think of that were American songs that really were cool. And the second thing I'm, I did in 92 was really important. I married my wife, Kim. She mm-hmm. was in Miss Tennessee at the time. So okay. we got like kind of an all-American family. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I moved forward in my career, and we see the tragedy that had come to America. And, and, and there were several things. It was, of course, the bombing of the USS Cole, uh, Katrina, then the trade towers and the attack on America. How it turned around from my very first thoughts about honoring the military with God Bless the USA, and I won't forget about the men who died, and that was the line that a lot of kids asked me about. Mm-hmm. And then moving forward to this time when all America was in jeopardy for just a few hours or a few days or a few months, and then we got back to life and the freedom that we enjoy, and that's why soldiers died for it mm-hmm. was because we should have this way of life and not be embarrassed about it or regretful that we have it. And then it, it just sort of made me feel like I've done something really cool and really proud uh, that I could give honor to the soldiers and at the same time reflect about how we are and who we are as Americans. Yes. So the song, in a way, took on different meanings as different events happened. Seems like it does every couple years. Mm-hmm. And it's been used in political campaigns, of course, attack on the Second Amendment about gun rights and then immigration. And, right. and the Homeland Security now uses God Bless USA as the only other song other than the national anthem when you have an immigrant who's sworn in as a citizen. Amazing. They take the same oath as a military person does and that I took when I joined the National Endowment of the Arts Council. Mm-hmm. It just has a life all of its own. Yes, and speaks to the power of music. Music represents our culture, just like sculpture and art. I said, but everybody lives through the music that we create. Mm, very true. Have you ever gotten choked up singing the song? Oh, absolutely. And how do you get yourself out of that? It happened more the first six months that I put it on stage. Okay. And, and it wouldn't have been just because I was singing a song about America, but because I wrote it. Uh-huh. I mean, it, that connection. it meant more to me because... I had done something good. I was so proud. And when the audience cheered, it wasn't like every other hit we'd had. I mean, right. you know, this is another hit from the artist we love. But this was different. Okay. USA was accepted a little bit differently than any other song I put on stage, and it just broke me up. And I couldn't finish it. And I got angry after I left stage, and I just said, it is my responsibility yes. to sing this all the way through and don't lose it. Yes, I can understand that. Well, in ensuing performances for the next four or five months, it would come again, like in a wave occasionally, and then I'd fight it back and fight the tears back and finish it. And I think it wasn't until I sang really big audiences, like maybe at Neyland Stadium for the volunteers, and they have 106,000 people, uh-huh. you know, who all stand up at the intro, uh, that it gets you again. Yes. And every once in a while, it'll do that. It'll and, grab you. And if I sing it, say, a wounded soldier's welcome home, you know, or when they bring him into Fort Campbell, and there's a welcome home, and you see the little child run out and grab her father, oh. you know, who's in uniform, uh, it, it'll get you. Yes. How can it not? Yes. <laughs> well, right now on the Mulberry Lane Show, we're talking with country music icon, singer-songwriter Lee Greenwood. So what would you say patriotism means to you personally? Well, patriotism may mean different things to different people. And as you pose the question to me, I will say that patriotism means that you love your home. Very simply, whatever your home is, whether it's your country, your city, maybe just your house, 
Mm -hmm. A lot of people who live in countries where they are patriotic about their city or their village or their small little family that gathers in maybe 10 people living in a two-room building. Mm -hmm. So to be a patriot in a larger sense here Mm -hmm. in America, the early patriots, many of them were not military. There are people who did not serve in uniform. So I'm kind of the perfect guy to be a patriot because I did not serve in the military. I did not lose a father nor a son. And I express my desire to love America and all it stands for through the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution because I am a patriot. And so I guess that's what patriotism is to me, is the love of country and the freedom that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the love of home. Yes, the love of our home. Mm -hmm. And you were able to express that so beautifully in song. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, Lee, we want to thank you so much for joining our show. You honor veterans every time you perform and sing that beautiful song. So we appreciate what you have done for the veterans as well. Well, thank you. And I want to say happy 4th of July to all of those who have served the military and all those who are patriots in America. And most of all, to our warriors who come home, we just want to say welcome home. Beautifully put. Thank you so much, Lee. Okay, guys. Wrapping up our interview with Lee Greenwood here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting in the 4th of July spirit. We'll meet you right back here with another country music artist. This time it's Ray Scott. He's got a deep voice and he's got a lot of things to tell you. Keep hanging out here with your radio sisters. Here's more of Lee Greenwood. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas. From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Well, it's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the man who Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Music, celebrities, and everything in between Back to the Mulberry Lane Show Now, here's Mulberry Lane Well, originally on a major label in Nashville, Ray Scott's story started like many up-and-comers in country music with critical and chart success in his first release. And taking full advantage of his popularity and the access to social media, he left his label and has taken full charge of his career over the last several years. Now, his current album is Guitar for Sale, and it really celebrates Ray Scott's original approach to country music. Guitar for sale, Ray Scott is here. Country music, loud and clear. Hey, thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. So now, Guitar for Sale is your latest. You switched up producers, so you worked with Michael Hughes on this one. So talk about how that changed up things for you. 
You know, I thought it was time to do something different. You know, the last couple or three uh, records I had done with my friend Dave Brainerd, and Dave's a great producer. Yeah, um, talented guy. He definitely is. And, you know, he had a particular style of production that we did that we incorporated on uh, three different releases. And, you know, I just felt like it was time to get back to uh, a little more of a, a loose sort of live feel. And, you know, just to try something different. Uh, I had a particular bunch of songs that I felt like would benefit a little more from the live approach maybe than the way we did it with him and I talked to a handful of producers uh, Michael's a guy I've known for a while and you know he's got a great setup a great ethic and a great approach and together I think we really accomplished what I wanted to do I wanted to make a record that was you know a little loose a little uh, rough around the edges and you know, it was going to be reminiscent of uh, the songs and the music that lit a fire into me years ago. So. Okay, and like you said, you live-tracked the album. So how was yeah. that, going back to that approach for you? It was great. You know, I did my first record with Warner Brothers that way. Okay. Um, I mean, there's really no replacing the energy you get when a band is actually feeding off of one another in the mm-hmm. studio. That um, energy level, yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of what I was shooting for there. So now, had you set aside some of these songs, because you were saying that the songs you picked for this kind of lent themselves more to the live tracking vibe. So was this in your mind before, and you set some songs aside that you knew would do well with this approach? Yeah, I did. You know, some songs I knew from an energy standpoint. A lot of it is a living and learning experience, too, you know, based on some of what I've done in the past. And, you know, maybe going back and thinking, okay, well, if I would have done this differently, it might have come off better, you know. Mm-hmm. The education you get recording over the years is invaluable. It course. is. <laughs> so not every one of them I went into with necessarily that attitude, but okay. I knew there were five or six at least that I had in a little pile there that were going to benefit mostly from the live approach. So, you know, I concentrated on those and then a few others. You know, a couple of this album were also just glorified acoustic tracks. Like on one of them, it's an acoustic with a steel guitar. Another one, it's got string acoustic uh-huh. uh, with just a little bit of keyboard pad lifting it sort of towards the end. So, I mean, it's not all this full-blown band live track thing. Now, do you feel your way through it, or do you try things out? How does the whole production process work with you? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, you do go and overdub some things later. I mean, I, I try to stick with bare bones for the most part when I'm going down. So I don't always track, like, say, for instance, with a steel guitar. Uh, I do go in and track with electric and with uh, bass. Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show. Country music singer-songwriter Ray Scott talking all about his latest release, Guitar for Sale. Do you like to put your vocals down to like a raw guitar track, or do you want to wait till it's kind of pretty well finished before you do your final vocal? Well, honestly, you know, I sing down with the band when we go in, okay. and, uh, and we call that the scratch vocal. Now, some of these quote-unquote scratch vocals ended up being the final vocals on this album because some of the songs I've been doing for a while, I had them down pretty good. I definitely uh, try to get at least a good take in when when we're going down with a band because there is some magic in the first time you do it or when you do go down with a band. Feed off the energy as well. That's true. Okay, Living This Way is the single. So what inspired that song? Well, Living This Way is just uh, being honest. Um, A little darker than Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that I do, although I do enjoy dark stuff. But it was a true testament, a true picture of where I was at one point in my life. Uh, a few years ago when I wrote the song, okay. um, I was in a place where I was doing a lot of heavy medicating. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, and, and you couldn't tell me anything. You know, that was a place I had to sort of work my way out of. And so it was important to me that I record it because I love the song for one thing. But okay. for another, I feel like a lot of people 
I can relate to it. And, uh, yeah. and the fact that I was able to move on. So what did get you through that? What did allow you to move on? Well, just recognizing it for what it was and, and honestly sort of taking a look at myself and, and taking a step or two backwards. That's not easy to do. No, it's not. I've been one who, uh, you know, has to kind of learn the hard way sometimes. And that was kind of the way it was. But mm -hmm. it, luckily, I was able to at least recognize some issues and habits that were going on that needed to stop, you know. So now, did that process in and of itself inspire some songs? You know, yeah, there's there's a handful of stuff that that whole process inspired. There was a song called Ain't Always Thirsty from my last album that, okay. that did really well for me that it was also written during that same time. Okay. Um, and, you know, so it was a kind of dark period, but it was a good, you know, period for songwriting. Creative period. They say, yeah, they say a happy songwriter's a crappy songwriter. So, right. uh, <laughs> so we, we had a good room there during the dark ages. Nice. <laughs> well, that's country singer-songwriter Ray Scott. You're going to hear part two of our chat with Ray next weekend, so meet us back here and you can hear the rest of that. In the meantime, you can download and check out his new album, Guitar for Sale. We'll keep it right here with your radio sisters, Rachel Bow and Alley Cat, because when we come back, we're going to have New York Times best-selling author, Megan Whalen-Turner. You're going to get inside her head of how she creates her novels. Keep it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Here's Ray Scott. I get high, I get low. I get high again I know this guy Right down the road He's got my medicine I don't believe in letting life Weigh down my mind So when mine gets heavy I know a way to make it light Living this way will maybe take me to my grave a little earlier than most But it won't change till I kill all of this pain Find a better way to go Though you might say it ain't okay Living this way Got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. New York Times best-selling author Megan Whalen Turner brings her suspenseful world of Atolia to your weekend. Now hear all about her latest epic novel, Thick as Thieves, and catch up with all the mystery and intrigue right now. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Megan Turner. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, it's awesome I can't to tell have you. How much I envy somebody who can carry a tune. Well, I envy someone who can write such fabulous books. <laughs> That's great. Okay, now for those not familiar with your epic novels, you have written four previous standalone books to Thick as Thieves. So set the stage for the world you've created. I started writing The Thief back in the early 1990s. Okay. I had an idea for a story, and I didn't know where I wanted to set the story until I took a long visit to Greece. Okay. And I decided that, that that was the perfect setting. So my books are set in a world that's not our world, but looks a lot like the Mediterranean landscape. Okay. 
It's got a culture a lot like the Byzantine okay. world. Uh-huh. And it's got gods and goddesses that look a little bit like the Greek gods and goddesses that are busy interfering in the lives of various different mortals. Okay, so now, did you do quite a bit of research to make the whole thing hold together? When we say research, it sounds so organized and purposeful. But, okay. uh, but in my experience, <laughs> no, it's not really organized and purposeful as much as it is just a lifetime of acquiring new information okay. wherever I go. Okay. I, I think it's important to go on learning things for your whole life. And I also think that a lot of my own experiences end up under some transformation in my books. So this is the inside of my head that I'm putting down on a page. Okay. So now this novel follows Kamet. Did his story come to you while you were writing the others? How do the books develop? The story of Kamet is one that I had originally meant to be the second half of my book, The King of Atolia. Okay. But then the first half of the story filled up an entire book, and I realized that I was either looking at something the size of a cinder block, or I was looking at a second standalone novel. Okay. So I decided to finish The King of Atolia. I wrote A Conspiracy of Kings, and now I've gotten back to the story of Kamet. And in a sense, it's a quest novel, because one of the characters in the story has been given a job by his king, and he is determined to complete the job that he's been given. But for the other character, the main character, Kamet, this is purely a means of escape. And he has his own agenda as these two people travel, trying desperately to get out safely from the Mede Empire. Okay. In your writing process, when you first started this, did you create the world first, then the characters? For me, the world that I set the story in is really important, and I don't think that I could have written the book before I decided on where I was going to set the story. Okay. So the background of the world, for me, drives a lot of things that happen, you know, the placement of the countries and their competition with each other has a lot to do with how the world is built. And did the characters, you know, step out of the landscape for you? Well, I I always had the idea, even before I found the landscape, I had my main character for the scene. He's a very overconfident young man who thinks that he can steal anything and that he should. And in the beginning of The Thief, he's locked up in jail, not surprisingly, in the king's prison in one small country. And he's pulled out of that jail to do a job for the king of that country that he doesn't really have any interest whatsoever in doing. And that's the story of The Thief. You're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show. You're hearing from Newberry Honor Award winner and best-selling author of five novels set in the world of The Queen's Thief. Megan Whalen Turner is here on the Mulberry Lane Show talking about her latest novel, Thick as Thieves. So now you were a bookseller before you started writing. So what did that teach you about your eventual foray into this part of the business? Well, I was a bookseller right after I graduated from college, and I was a buyer for various different children's book sections okay. inside general bookstores. And I was married to a professor. And every time he would get uh, any sort of a grant or a fellowship, it was an opportunity for us to go live someplace new for a year at a time. But that meant that I was frequently leaving one job and picking up a short-term job someplace else. Mm -hmm. And one year, I decided while we were living in San Diego that instead of picking up that short-term job, I would just conceive of the entire year as 
my opportunity to okay. write. Was that terrifying for you at that point, or was that a freeing thing? It was a really safe decision at that point, because I didn't have anything writing on it, and when I was writing my first short stories, I wasn't thinking about them being published, so I wasn't worried okay. about whether they were publishable. I was only worried about whether I liked them. Okay. And my idea was I'd write a couple of short stories, I'd see how that worked out, and I would send them out as samples. And then if a publisher was interested in my writing, they might subsequently be interested in a book, sure. a full-length okay. book. And so I was really kind of stunned as a bookseller because I didn't think there was a market for short stories. When I sent those short stories out and Susan Hirschman at Green Willow said that she'd like to publish them. Wow. And, and that turned into my first published book instead of Three Wishes. So then that eventually led to the epic novels. Yes, and then after I did the collection of short stories, I thought it was time that I would write a novel. And okay. that was actually a little more nerve-wracking. Because you, had, you had a track record. Exactly, because now I had somebody who was expecting a book, and I was doing something that I'd never done before, which was write a whole length novel. Yeah. Being a writer in the age of social media, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for instant feedback. Do you enjoy that? How do you view the whole social media aspect of what you do? Well, I have an unusual approach, I think, to not so much to social media, but to the questions that people ask me about my work. Okay. In this day and age, it's really easy for readers to get in touch with authors and ask them things like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And how come this person did that? <laughs> and, uh, and one question I get not infrequently is, how old is your main character? Okay. And as the most uncooperative author ever, my answer is, I can't answer that question. I feel that even in this day and age where you can actually ask an author, that doesn't mean that it's really a great idea for the author to do that. And your reason for that, that is... Because half of the fun of, uh, of reading is deciding on those things for yourself. Okay. And I never want to have anything I say interfere with a reader's opportunity to decide for themselves okay. how old the character is or why the character does something or what any of it means. Okay, and then what's next on your plate? I have one more book that okay. I'm working on now that I've been looking forward to writing for a long time okay. about these characters and set in this world. And then I think I'll be done with this world, and I'm going to go explore a new one. How exciting. Thick as Thieves is the name of the novel. It's by Megan Whalen-Turner. And Megan, thank you so much for joining the show. And when the next one's out, you'll have to come back and visit us again. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Well, that's Megan Whalen-Turner. You got a trip inside her fantasy world and her incredible creative mind. It's a nice vacation from my mind. (laughs) All right, Megan, thanks for stopping by sharing your intriguing world with us today. And make sure you pick up a copy of her latest novel, Thick as Thieves, by this New York Times bestselling author, Megan Whalen-Turner. And multiple award winner as well. Who else do we need to thank, sisters? Okay, well, have to thank Lee Greenwood for gracing our show today with the incredible story of how he wrote God Bless the USA in the back of his bus over 30 years ago. Yes, and you know, if you're looking for a patriotic guest for a 4th of July show, it doesn't get any better than Lee Greenwood. Yep, and so when you hear God Bless the USA a number of times in the next few days, you can tell your friend, well, you know he wrote that in the back of his bus? That's right. Now you've got the behind-the-scenes story. Thanks, Lee, for sharing the details. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, girls, who else? And finally, a big radio shout-out to Ray Scott. Now you heard the first part of our interview where he talks about songwriting in that very deep voice of his. Mm -hmm. And you'll get more of Ray Scott next weekend. And Ray, thanks for joining our show. Appreciate the stories, the behind the scenes, and opening up about your addictions. Yes, Ray, we love the honesty, and it doesn't get much more country than Ray Scott. And next week, in addition to Ray Scott and some other guests, you'll hear from New Age piano artist Louis Kalyanya. And Louis wanted us to let you know to mark your calendars next Saturday night, July 8th. He'll be at the Sumter Amphitheater, 7 p.m., and it's going to be an Independence Weekend Bash. So he's going to be there with some other artists, and it's going to be a Stars and Stripes kind of show. So you guys, check that out, and you can hear him on our show next weekend. That's right. Should be a great concert. Guys, well, that wraps up another weekend. We hope you have a safe, fun, and sparkling 4th of July. We'll be here next weekend. We'll be waiting for you. That's right. And we're going to leave you with our own 4th of July sparkler. <laughs> That's right. Good way to put it. Both. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie. Don't forget to be awesome, Rachel. That's a wrap. Woo!